0: Friends, let us pray. Gracious God, open our hearts and open our minds to receive what you have prepared for us this day. May your word working within us shape us more into the people that you have created us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Brian McLaren begins his book, A Generous Orthodoxy, by speaking of the seven different Jesuses that he has known. The first Jesus, the Jesus of his childhood, was the conservative Protestant Jesus. This Jesus was born to die. The focal point was always Jesus' innocent death on a cross for McLaren's sins. Over time, McLaren struggled with this view of Jesus because it seemed an individual legalistic view with personal but not global import. As a young adult, he next met the Pentecostal charismatic Jesus. This Jesus was present, personal, and dramatically involved in everyday life through the Holy Spirit. But nagging questions about God's concern for the whole world and for creation frustrated him. This led McLaren to the Roman Catholic Jesus. This Jesus saved the church by rising from the dead. In Christ's resurrection, we are able to experience Jesus here and now as well as in the time to come, especially through the sacraments and the ancient traditions. But McLaren continued to be troubled by the exclusivism of this church. Next, he worshiped the Eastern Orthodox Jesus, which took him into a deeper place. Here, there was an emphasis on the Trinity and the mystery of God while still engaging the world. From there, he was led to the liberal Protestant Jesus with a focus on social justice that grew out of a personal relationship with Christ. Then he ventured to the Anabaptist Jesus with its focus on peace and nonviolence. And from there to the liberation theology, Jesus, who affirmed God's preferential regard for the least lost and last, who confronted injustice in the whole of society and stood in solidarity with the poor and the oppressed. While you might not have made your way through seven different Jesuses like McLaren did, I bet you do see a bit of yourself in his journey we begin our faith life with the image of Jesus that we receive from those who introduce us to the faith. Then as we grow and we question and we deal with the experiences of our lives, our understanding of who Jesus is evolves. I don't think this is a bad thing. Jesus the Christ is complex. I don't think any one description captures him. And I think our inability to put him in a box helps to remind us time and time again that he is God and we are not. And we are not meant to fully understand him this side of the veil. Anyone who's ever been to a family Thanksgiving dinner knows that God created each of us very different. <laughs> And so it makes sense that different folks experience and understand Jesus differently. But this can create some confusion. As the church, our central identity is as the body of Christ. And as the church, our central task is proclaiming Jesus Christ. So on a day like today, when we proclaim Christ the King, which Jesus are we proclaiming? Fear not, even though we may all sit here with our varied ideas of who Jesus is, we are helped immensely by the clear, unequivocal, straightforward, and particular language of our passage from Paul's letter to the Colossians. The passage reflects some of the highest Christology in all of scripture, making extraordinary claims about who Jesus is and how and where Jesus reigns. Jesus the Christ is the image of the invisible God. When we proclaim that Jesus is the image of God, we are proclaiming that Jesus is divine. When Paul uses the word image, he's not implying that Jesus is just like a picture of God. No, he's saying that Jesus is a manifestation of God. Jesus is not just some really good guy or a fun dinner companion. He is God. He could not have done for us what he did in reconciling us to God once for all if he were not divine. In his divinity, he took our redeemed humanity into the Godhead to sit at God's right hand. Our passage tells us, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell nothing of God is held back or left out of the person of Jesus. When we proclaim that Jesus is the image of God, we're not only saying that Jesus is divine, but we're saying the corollary that God is Christ-like. Very often you will find folks who believe that the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. They understand the God of the Old Testament as mighty, judgmental, transcendent, and powerful. And the God of the New Testament in Jesus as merciful, intimate, kind, and inclusive. Many of you may have grown up with a scary God who was always looking for a chance to thump you on the head, who threatened to cause bad things to happen to you if you didn't toe the moral or behavioral line. We have let folks tell us that it is hard to get into God's good graces and inner circle. But God's character is revealed definitively in Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals a God who heals, a God who serves, and a God who will share table with anybody. The God who will judge you at the end of time is the same God who says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And finding no takers, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus incarnates God to humanity in a way that we can see and know and understand. Jesus is the full revelation of God. our passage tells us that Jesus holds all things together. He is the glue that never dries out, the bond that never fails. Paul gives us this glorious over-the-top description of the scope in time and space of Christ's reign. In him, all things in heaven and earth were created. All powers and dominions, visible and invisible, are established for him. He is first Among all things. So, what we're being told is there is nothing outside the reign of Christ. Our world is not under the reign of politicians or religious zealots or the moguls of Wall Street. Our world is under the reign of Christ. Christ's power transcends all other powers. Everything got its start in him and finds its purpose in him. And so beloved, we are literally made for Christ. This claim is a promise an assurance that if we are in Christ, we do not have to worry about being torn away from him. We are made to live our life in loving relationship with him and with one another. We are invited to live a life of peace and contentment centered in Christ versus a life of striving and scarcity centered in power or money or prestige or stuff. Finally, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. The church is the instrument through which Jesus expresses his lordship. It is the place of the presence of God in time, in history. And while we know that God can reveal himself wherever he chooses, the church indwelt by the Holy Spirit is the particular place through which God promises to reveal himself. The church is also the community of reconciliation. Paul tells us that God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself through Christ. This is an important claim for us to rest in. I've heard many a folk reference how Christ died for their sins. This is not an inaccurate statement, but it is an incomplete statement. Christ died to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth. This is not individual or parochial reconciliation. This is cosmic reconciliation. Our Christ who reigns over all things, reconciles all things to God. We as the church are the instrument through which Christ works. We are uniquely empowered to reflect the reign of Christ in the world. And because Christ reigns over all, our witness to his reign must take place not just in worship on Sunday, not just among the community of believers, but in all aspects of our lives. What kind of King is it that we proclaim on this Christ the King Sunday? Each of us like Brian McLaren might have varied answers to this question, but we can agree that we proclaim a King that is unlike any we've seen before, a King that was, and is, and is to come. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.